The mainstream media is pretty much dying on its feet because people have seen through that false narrative. They're in trouble because they've been bought over, they've taken massive payments from people like Bill Gates, who has spent hundreds of millions infiltrating these media groups, newspapers, donating to them, buying out advertising. The, the money has counted and he has spent a huge amount of money doing that. As a result, he is now controlling the narrative. People like Soros doing exactly the same thing. And I have to say, you know, Trump has coined the phrase the, the fake news media, the lying news media, and he was right. Freedom of the press is only as real as they, they want it to be. Well, welcome into Ideas Have Consequences, and I'm delighted to have with me once again Jim Ferguson. Jim Ferguson, a Scottish politician, political social commentator, and my good friend who's joining me once again. Jim, how are you? I'm great, Larry. Delighted to be here. Um, I'm just so pleased to be here <laughs> in the United States of America with such wonderful people. And to you, in your studio, met your family. What a great welcome I've had. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm so glad that you were able to make the trip. And we were able to... I, I could take you out this morning, and you shot an AR-15 for the first time. Is it like the Death Star? I mean, were you able to explode planets using my AR-15? Absolutely. I haven't stopped smiling since I've had it. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, that video will be getting shown in here. But uh, no, we don't have AR-15s, but I wish we did. In but Scotland. In, in Scotland. In the UK. In the UK, yeah. In no. Europe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I unless you're a Muslim terrorist, then somehow magically you, you are able to have them and go to the, uh, to the Bataclan and shoot people like fish in a barrel in Paris, terrorist attack in um, 2015. But no, you don't get access to that. And here in the United States, you found gun access much easier, haven't you? Much easier. I mean, the, 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 the biggest caliber that you can have in a semi-automatic uh, rifle is a 2.2, or a 22, as you call them here. Yeah. Uh, you're not allowed to have anything else in semi-automatic mode that's bigger than that. So small, small rounds, you know. Uh, we have hunting rifles. We have 270s, 308s, 306s all sorts of different types of caliber for the bigger game. We, you know, like deer hunting, red stags, that type of thing, but only single bolt action, no automatics, no semi-automatics. Well, during the break, um, we were doing our best um, Scotty from uh, Star Trek uh, impersonations. Let's let's hear yours. Yeah, well, as far as gun laws in the UK are concerned, they're totally crap. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Myers special there, you know. Yeah. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear your Scotty impersonation. Scotty, well, the engine's kind of good. Blow, Captain. She can't take any more. <laughs> I'm a big. I used to be a big Star Trek. You like fan. Star Trek? Oh yeah, we used, to, we used to watch it with my dad all the time. Yes, uh, I grew up watching it in rerun, as of course you did too, because we're about the same age. So yeah. we weren't around when it was both thirty-four. Uh, when it was yeah, both thirty-four, <laughs> and um, we weren't around when it was you know was actually you know on TV. But um, watching those uh, those reruns, I certainly I certainly enjoyed it too. Let's talk a little bit in this particular episode. We were talking. When you were with me on another occasion, we were talking about um, the destruction of British freedoms. Yeah, and here what we would we would put them under, you know, under our constitution, the the Bill of Rights, and those are under the Bill of Rights. They are uh, freedom of press, religion, um, assembly, petition, and speech. Mm -hmm. So um, religion, assembly, 
press petition and speech. So those are our, our freedoms. Let, let's take those one at a time as it applies to Britain. Let's start with freedom of religion. Is there freedom of religion in Britain? Well, there, there certainly used to be, and there certainly should be. But um, there was a shocking case just about two months ago where uh, a, a Christian lady uh, was standing near uh, an abortion clinic. I saw this. Praying silently. She wasn't... She didn't even say she was. They said, are you praying? And she yeah. said, I might be. That's right. Well, that lady got arrested, taken into a police station, questioned, and I think she was actually charged. But, I, I mean, how appalling is that? I mean... Would she, they have done it if that had been a Muslim? Well, I think we both know the answer to that. <laughs> um, look, I mean, another good example of just how far things have gone in the UK is after the disgraceful attack on Israeli men, women, and children, civilians, by Hamas, just a few weeks ago, um, posters were put up. Because you have to understand, they, they didn't just kill them, they actually took them back. Uh, a lot Tortured of women, them. A lot of women were t- and children. Beheaded many. Well, you know, they were taken back, and some Israeli supporters put up pictures and posters of the missing children and the missing people that had been captured by Hamas. And just within, this is a, this is a, a breaking scandal, as, uh, as we were recording this, just within the last sort of 24 hours, police vehicles were seen, police officers, British police officers were seen removing those posters. Police officers. Police officers. Now... Uh, I can't remember the name of the the commissioner or the the police the senior police commander that was uh, challenged on this. He said they made a mistake, and they handled it inappropriately. Only because there's been such an outcry about it. And once again, my my old boss Nigel Farage will probably be all over this. I haven't seen to see if he is, but it's the sort of thing that he would most definitely tackle because he's one of the most honest politicians out there in the UK. It's why people flocked him. It's why I went and enjoyed. Him because he spoke the truth and he wasn't frightened to speak up for that. But how disgraceful that British police officers, yet there's Palestinian flags, people de- chanting death to the Jews, gas the Jews, and the police officers are standing by doing absolutely nothing. So to try to answer your question, um, freedom of speech uh, is, is only uh, an illusory dream at this or point. Or religion. So, or, so yeah. freedom of religion is illusory. And you, well, so let's just go to that. So freedom of speech isn't, isn't really a thing either. Well, the, there's once again, um, you know, there, there was, a, I, I saw some, some footage of uh, a gentleman, can't remember his name. He was a sort of a British member of the public. He went out with his camera, as he has a perfect right to do. And he was filming um, flags that, that, that were, were not British and that were Palestinian flags. And he, he was saying, this is disgraceful, you know, this is terrible. Well, he got a visit from the police that night. And um, was, was that, um, he follows me on Twitter. Uh, his name's gone straight out of my head. The, the actor, Fox. Lawrence Fox. Lawrence yeah. Fox. Was it Lawrence Fox? It, it wasn't Lawrence Fox. Lawrence Fox is the leader of the Reclaim Party, which is a small independent political party in the UK. And indeed, I, I mentioned, uh, I've mentioned Andrew Bridgen to you before. Andrew Bridgen was a Conservative member of Parliament who actually was ostracised by the Conservative Party because he was talking out and calling for proper analysis of the, the vaccines. They didn't like that, especially Richie Sunak, it, w- it would appear. So he joined Lawrence Fox, and, and he's part of the reclaimed party. They got their first member of Parliament through him. But uh, Lawrence Fox has been busy, seen within the last 24 hours, 
taking these flags, these Palestinian flags, off of our uh, war memorials and statues. And so do it in Trafalgar Square. In, uh, in Trafalgar Square, yeah, yeah. So he's very outspoken, you know. Um, but he's, 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 they've tried to silence him as well. They don't like people pushing back against the narrative. And um, freedom of speech um, is a, a fundamental right. We have what's called the Magna Carta in the United Kingdom. And there are a lot of um, people that believe that freedom of the press even, you know, freedom of the press is no longer something that can be taken for granted any longer. We are living in an increasingly oppressive society. George Orwell wrote 1984, you know, many, many decades ago, but those realities are now starting to become apparent. What he warned about and what he, what he wrote about as a part of fiction is in fact rapidly becoming reality. Yes, it is. I, uh, I recently had on the podcast Anna Funder. Um, she's an interesting woman. She's Australian. She is um, the author of a book called Stasiland. And uh, it's, the book's 20 years old, but I read it 20 years ago, and I recently reread it because it's talking about the rise of the police state. But she's been fascinated with, um, with Orwell, and she's written a book um, called Wifedom, which is about Orwell's wife. And anyway, um, that's, a, that's another subject. But the point being that the Orwellian vision uh, is becoming a reality, a nightmarish yeah. reality that we are seeing taking place in the Western world. Let's keep moving through our Bill of Rights. And then, sure. you know, the two of us will just have a conversation. But to begin with, I really just want to interview you and ask you some yeah, questions sure. because I want, I want people who are watching this podcast who are listening you get to travel a lot. I yeah. get to travel a lot. My work takes me all over the world. I was partially educated um, in Britain. I'm there a couple of times a year. So I'm seeing what's happening there. And I'm trying to inform people here about yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes it's hard for them to understand. I use the word naive. I, I mean it in a nice way. I mean it in the sense that Americans... Generally speaking, I mean, we can we can find the real jaded um, anti-human sorts in our in our big cities, yeah. but generally speaking, Americans are fairly naive about the world, and that is because they have grown up in a society that, if not Christian um, explicitly, it has been deeply influenced by Judeo-Christian worldview, and so the result of that is that Americans, as a rule, aren't used to. And I'll just use this as an example. I'm, I'm with a friend of mine in London for the first time some, some years ago, and I have a backpack, and I sit my backpack in a chair next to me, and we're, again, in this coffee shop, and he said, if I were you, I would put my leg oh, yeah. right through that backpack yeah. strap. And I was like, what? Yeah. He said, oh, yeah. He <clears throat> says, it'll be gone in a, in, in a second. And um, and we're used to to stick with the, the the coffee shop. It's very common in the South. I can't speak for the rest of the com- country, but you might be sitting at a table next to me, and I need to use the restroom, and I'm sitting there working on my laptop, and I might say, "Excuse me, do you mind watching my stuff here while I go to the bathroom?" And yeah. people are used to that. Say, so, yeah. "Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll keep an eye on your your things for you." Americans 
when, when that is the culture that you've grown up in, it's easy to extrapolate from that limited experience that the rest of the world is like that. Yep. And the rest of the world isn't like that. So the idea that there are, and Americans are waking up to this because they've seen, they've experienced Obama, they've experienced the hateful Biden um, administration that hates Americans. I mean, they yeah. hate Americans in their core. Um, as you pointed out when we were having coffee, they're ready to give all kinds of money to the Palestinians, but won't go to East Palestine, Ohio, and see the victims of a, of, of a, uh, a chemical disaster yeah. you know, that is, that is taking place there. They're just simply are not interested. Maui, $700 for those people. And they're all yeah. relocated from their prime real estate that was worth a oh, fortune billions. to them, but we are sending billions, billions to Ukraine yeah. that is undoubtedly being laundered and going off to other globalist and uh, nefarious causes. Mm -hmm. So as you think about these things, and we're seeing, you know, you have seen that, yeah, again, our traditions are your traditions. Yeah. Our history is your history. We are... We're, I was just uh, just saying to you just moments ago that, you know, my mother, um, she's Scottish on her father's side. So we're descended, you know, from your stock. Um, my grandmother was, was Irish. On my father's side, they're English. Yeah. So Britain's history is our history and our traditions are your traditions. And you've seen the erosion of what we call the Bill of Rights, the rights that are, that are enumerated there. So we've hit... Religion, assembly. How about freedom of the press? Is that real? Uh, once again, freedom of the press is only as real as they, they want it to be. I mean, you, you see how the mainstream media, the mainstream media is pretty much dying on its feet because people have seen through that false narrative. Hence the reason that, that we're able to garner substantial followings. Well, between us, we've got a lot of following. And, and, and there are other independent channels like us that talk about the issues that people want us to speak about. But let me, get, let me just go back to our point. It's a very true story, very briefly. You talked about your rucksack and sort of being warned about that. I mean, when I, the very first time I went to London, I was about 18, you know, just a young guy, not been in London before. And I'd been down to, to, to a meeting and I was getting ready to come back and I was at, uh, I think it was King's Cross uh, Railway Station uh, with my suitcase. And this giant of a man came over. He, he was a black railway worker. And I'll never forget him. He was a, a really big guy. And he comes over to me. And um, I'm thinking, oh, am I in trouble for something, you know? <laughs> really nice guy. And he comes up to me and he says, uh, in a thick London accent, he says, um, listen, he said, uh, you might want to move you and your suitcase just a little bit closer over there. I went, oh, right. He says, because you see those three guys over there. And I looked and there was three, three fairly... <laughs> Fairly dodgy-looking characters standing, sort of watching over. He says, they're going to rob you. They're going to take your case. Mm. So I said, all right, well, thanks very much. And I picked up my case and I moved it over there. And I got the train without in, in, any kind of incident. But, you know, there are good people around. And uh, me being young and a bit naive never really, wasn't really paying attention. So things like situational awareness is really, really important that we're aware of our surrounding and what's going on. Anyway, going back to freedom of the press, mainstream media... Yeah, they're in trouble because they've been bought over. They've been they've taken uh, massive payments from people like Bill Gates, who has spent hundreds of millions infiltrating these media 
uh, groups, newspapers donating to them, buying out advertising, what have you. And, you know, the, the money has counted and, and, and he has spent a huge amount of money doing that. And um, as a result, he is now controlling the narrative. People like Soros doing exactly the same thing. And I have to say, you know, Trump has coined the phrase, the, the fake news media, the lying news media, and he was right. 100%. He was absolutely right. So I think the growth of independent media, like your channel, like mine and others, have exploded because people are seeing the truth and they're seeing the reality of it and we're reporting on it. But the, the globalists don't like that, Larry, and that's why they are talking about disinformation and misinformation laws. Now, when I was reporting the, the, the outbreak of violence in France uh, a month or two ago with the riots and the destabilization of what was going on, they enacted what was called Article 21 in the French Parliament, which basically silenced all social media platforms. And I've got contacts, I speak a little bit of French, and there was people that it was like a curtain of censorship came down and I stopped getting reports from people. It went dark. France went dark over an entire Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And the reason that they did that, they claimed, was because they were losing control of the situation. And it was very, very violent. I mean, what happened um, previously in France was bad enough, but this was violence on a whole other level. And there was images being sent to me that I simply couldn't post because they were so graphic. Mm. So I was pushing the boundaries it was. But freedom of the press is an integral part of democracy. And when you start to silence journalists or investigative reporters or the truth from coming out, you're no better than a, a tin pot country that, that, that are a banana republic, as it might be referred to, uh, where there is no freedom. There is no uh, freedom for people or, 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 or just going about your business. Everyone's going to encounter pain in their life. The questions deal with the degree of one's pain and the source of one's pain and how we deal with our pain. In this course, I'm speaking very personally about my own pain and some of the lessons that I've learned in coping with pain, how we minister to people with pain and what kind of perspective are we to have on the big questions that surround pain and human suffering. Why would you take a course like this? Well, presumably, if you haven't suffered in your own life, you will encounter people who do. And undoubtedly, some of them are people who are very near and dear to you. I think it'd be very helpful for you to take a course like this in order to understand what they're experiencing and the way that you minister to people in those kinds of circumstances. So I'd love for you to take this course of mine. And I wanna tell you this, that when you subscribe to Tome, you get access not just to my course, but to more than a hundred other courses that are dealing with very practical issues and assisting you in living and in flourishing. So where can you get this course? Well, you can't get it at Amazon. You can't get it at Apple. You can't get it at Netflix. You can only get it at Tome. So I want you to go to tomeapp.com slash pain to learn more about my course. Let's get back to the podcast. Are you familiar with the novelist of a previous generation, uh, Frederick Forsyth? Uh, somewhat. Day of the Jackal. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, 
Fourth Protocol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the yeah. Odessa File. Yes. Um, yep. Good Scottish name, yes, Forsyth. I just read his uh, autobiography, and he would say it's not an autobiography. I think he would call it more of a memoir. But it was yeah. published in 2014. But he worked for BBC back in the back in the late 60s and early 70s, yeah. and uh, he was fired from the BBC. And his loathing for the BBC um, comes through in in his memoir, and he says it's because they were lying. And yeah. at the time, he was sent to Nigeria to report on the Nigerian Civil War. And he says, but he didn't really want me to report. And he says, yeah. because the, the state media, which BBC is, he said the official line was, this civil war isn't happening. And mm -hmm. he said, so I was reporting that there was um, really a, um, a state-engineered genocide that was yeah. taking place through starvation um and he was seeing it and he began reporting on it and bbc fired him and he said this and i this is almost a direct quotation i can't recall his exact words but he says the press he says members of the press he says we are our mission is to hold power to account correct we must never join it we must always be and this is the title of his memoir the outsider. Yeah. The outsider. We must never, we must hold power to account. We must never join it. We must always be the outsider. Media, the press has joined power, haven't they? Have. they? They've, they've have absolutely become, done that. They have become an integral part of the establishment. And the BBC World Service at one time was the, I guess, the go-to for truth, for, for good reporting, but not anymore. They have become incredibly left-wing very lefty uh, bias that's coming through on their reporting. Uh, we've seen that in the UK. They are, quite frankly, a discredited news organisation now. And I remember being asked to go to uh, a radio show uh, hosted by the BBC when I was a Brexit Party candidate. And um, so I went along and, you know, the line of questioning was such, you know, they, they, were, they were trying to, to get you to say things that, you know, it was, it was like they weren't genuinely wanting to know about Brexit. They were simply looking to trip you up. And um, I quickly cottoned on to it, and I said, look, I'm not going to play your game. And this was live on here. I'm not going to play your games. You want to ask me a serious question, you go ahead. You'll get a serious answer. But you, as the BBC, have got a, a reputational problem, and I'm seeing no evidence that that's not the case in this interview. So you can either end it right now or you can continue. Well, they backed right down, and they continued. Uh, and they, they behaved themselves after that at that point. Because I wasn't putting up with any nonsense from them. Uh, um, but that's a, an example, a real example, of a personal example of what they can be like. Oh, listen, I've done, um, it, I've done I think, several interviews with BBC. And the last one I did, uh, the previous ones were friendly enough. But the, these were um, with, say, BBC um, um, writers. So, right. But the last one I did was... On television, and it was um, it, what's what's the name of the show? Newsnight. Oh, Newsnight. Yeah, apparently yeah. one of your yeah. popular shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> what they did in that interview was it was a it was a complete setup. So um, for those who don't know how this works, a producer, um, somebody who's trying to acquire you to appear on the show, reaches out to you on Twitter, and they're Jim. We love to have you on. We just love what you do. <laughs> love to have you on. And uh, I'm a producer with BBC. We love to have you on Newsnight and want to discuss your latest article or book or whatever. 
And so you begin to, to this is very friendly interaction with mm-hmm. them, but it's their job to go, come Hansel, come Gretel, you know, to try to get you to right. get you in house. And then they hand you off to someone else. Then they immediately block you on Twitter yeah. so that you can't interact with them anymore or complain about anything. And when I went on the, uh, the television show um, on Newsnight, I was broadcasting from Birmingham, so via satellite. And um, if you watch it, it, you can see this on YouTube, and I've written about it. You can't see the tricks that they're doing. First of all, um, they bring me on, but they don't tell me that they're bringing someone else on to bash me. He knows he's coming on to bash me, but I'm not prepared for him. I think I'm just going to be doing this interview with a guy named James O'Brien, who is an arrogant ass. Yeah. And um, so here I am in this conversation with him, but then they shut off my mic, and they go to this other fellow. Uh-huh. And all you see is him on the screen. You don't see me at all. So you don't see me going, hey, I'm trying to speak. Yeah. I, I like to respond to that. Yeah. You're, just, you're just simply cut off. And so it gives the impression to the audience, at least to some in the audience, that you must agree with it or not have anything to say about that. Yeah. But you know what I loved about the British people? After that, I received so many comments from people in Britain who said what they did to you was unfair, and we are ashamed. There you go. We are ashamed yeah. that our media behaved the way they did mm-hmm. in that interview. Didn't give you an opportunity yeah. to defend yourself or to speak to the issue that was had to do with my um, my second book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, which garnered quite a lot of media attention in Britain. But they were accusing me of things that just simply were blatantly false. Yeah. But here they bring a guy on to do that, and then they shut your mic off and they move the camera away. I mean, that this is this is the. This is small stuff compared to what the media has done. But I became sympathetic with Trump in 2016. Um, I've been very open about the fact that when Trump first came along, I knew that he was uh, a New York liberal. Yeah. He wasn't a pro-life. He wasn't um, pro-evangelical Christian. He wasn't a conservative. So I looked at Trump early on with great skepticism. And I saw Trump as a uh, as a guy who's seeking to build his, um, you know, your fired brand. Um, what was the name of that show? The Pre- the Apprentice, Apprentice or something yeah. like that. And I was just thinking he's just trying to up his game. Then he became president of the United States, and of course, I was thrilled with that because uh, not necessarily because I thought he would govern as a conservative, but because he had to be better than Hillary Clinton, yeah. who was a nightmare, a globalist, absolutely was seller soul for oh. power, and then. Trump began governing as the most conservative president since Reagan and arguably more conservative than Reagan because he began appointing Supreme Court justices who would eventually overturn Roe v. Wade. So I thought, you know, maybe the guy isn't actually a conservative, and he isn't. But he is a businessman, and he's loves America. He does. Yeah. He is anti-globalist. Uh, he's a traditional kind of in the middle of the road American um, yeah. in terms of his outlook, and as a businessman, he understands that that you you keep a bargain, and mm. that he had said to conservatives, particularly to evangelicals in this country, "You vote for me, I will be your man. Yeah, I will represent you." And by golly, he did. And I found myself sympathetic with him and becoming. Uh, uh, very much a supporter of Trump. As you know, I just came back from Mar-a-Lago, so obviously I, I feel fairly favorably about him. But I was watching what the media was doing, and my own experiences, just very small time you know, kind of experiences, 
But those same tactics being used against him where they are taking things deliberately out of context, they are smearing him with, I mean, they were pushing for years the false Russia collusion narrative, which was quite obviously false, um, bringing uh, impeachment charges against him, which were 100% bogus, and they knew were bogus. But you knew that you were dealing with people who were so cynical had had no respect for, we've been talking about the Bill of Rights, mm. for the Constitution, for the rule of law. These are individuals who believe that the end justifies the means. They will absolutely do anything yeah. to seize power. What is the view, just to take a little diversion for a moment, what is the view of Trump in Britain? They love him. Uh, I, 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 I can tell you, I mean, there will always be those on the left that don't. Of course, that hate him and um, believe everything they read in the media. But I mean, the Christopher Steele dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton, that... that, that I mean, she should be in jail. She, she should... She, I, mean, she was, I mean, I'm not just saying that just because I don't like her. I mean, she should be in she jail. Be in this jail. is criminal activity. Oh, this is criminal activity. Uh, I, I believe Biden should be in jail. Hunter should be in jail. I mean, yes. there, there, is, there is so much corruption going well, on. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're clearly on the take. Well, you know, you talked about Ukraine. You talked about the taxpayers' dollars going across there. There, there, there. There's evidence of all of that just being a complete corrupt. But, I mean, one of the things that, that deeply upset I me, mean, Christopher Steele is former MI6. Uh, he should have known better than to get involved in stuff like that. He really should have. But it just goes to show the level of corruption that's involved in this. Trump, um, Trump is loved in, in, in large groups of, of, of the population in the U.K., I've always referred to myself as a Trump guy. Now, I like Robert Kennedy for his stance on COVID and his stance on lockdowns. I think he's actually a good guy. And I think, you know, JFK and uh, the Kennedys had a lot going for them because they weren't part of the establishment. You know, they, they were... Anti-communist, they, pro-American. They were, correct. They, they, they stood... They were Democrats, but they but were... That was, a, that was a very different era. Oh, a, holy, yeah. a whole different era, you know. And uh, Trump was never part of that. Now, is Trump absolutely perfect? No. I mean, he's probably a very tough guy to work with. But, you know, if I ever met him, I, I guess he'd be a little bit like Nigel Farage because Nigel, Nigel and Trump have a lot in common. Well, could anyone else... I mean, yes, I think he would be very difficult. And some of his chief faults, in my view, are also the things that are also his strengths, meaning he doesn't take... He, I've been told by those who know him, he doesn't take any advice. And um, the way... The way Steve Cortez um, puts it, who was a was a Trump advisor, he says that Trump says, you know, listen, I'm a billionaire. I've been president of the United States, and I sleep with Melania. What advice could you possibly <laughs> give me? I mean, what what could you tell me that I don't know? Yeah. But I don't know of anyone who could have withstood the uh-huh. withering attacks, unrelenting attacks, and keep going and not cave yeah. the way we've seen so many conservatives. I mean, we were talking over coffee how George W. Bush eventually caved. And I think it, that they caved is, uh, just to repeat what I said to you, I think that George W. Bush caved because they were threatening him. People will forget this, but when Obama became president, you began seeing all these media um, uh, stories that George W. Bush was a war criminal and that he should be charged as a war criminal. And this narrative was being being promoted very strongly, uh, Obama himself. And then suddenly Obama says, oh, we must, well, let's, let's, let's be gracious and we will pardon him. Mm-hmm. And he signs a kind of a, a permanent pardon. Since then, George W. Bush has been snuggling with Michelle Obama. 
They've tried to use those same tactics with or Mike, as someone said. <laughs> you must have read my I could, mind. I knew what you were saying. I knew what you were Jim, I already know the way you think. So they've tried those same coercive tactics with Trump, and none of them have worked. We are going to uh, impeach you. Doesn't work. We're going to threaten you with jail. Hasn't worked. We're going to go after your businesses. Hasn't worked. We're going to devalue. You know, again, I, as I just said, I just come back from Mar-a-Lago. It's our third invitation there. Beautiful, stunning place. Yeah. Quick review. Mm. Of, can, can I offer you a review of Mar-a-Lago? Oh. I've been in many five-star hotels, but five-star hotels in the U.S. anymore are not that great. And that's because the service can be a little surly. When I'm in New York, when I'm invited to New York, they often will put me in the plaza, which is a very famous uh, hotel, which ironically is a scene from Home Alone that Donald Trump appears in, Shit. takes place in the Plaza Hotel. So a very famous hotel. Yeah. The, plaza, the Plaza Hotel is the Hampton Inn. I mean, it has a very, a very impressive lobby, but the rooms are outdated. You have to plug your phone in, you know, ac across the room and nowhere near. It, it's not, I mean, it needs massive updating. It's not that impressive. We have a new sponsor to the Ideas Have Consequences podcast, and that is John Candor, C-A-N-D-O-R, johncandor.com. John is a faithful member of the posse, a faithful listener to this podcast, and he sent me some of his products. Take a look at these beautiful shoes, which I've been wearing. This other pair of beautiful shoes, all leather, um, which I have been wearing in this beautiful wallet, which I just received yesterday. And so I don't yet have my credit cards and such in it, but I'm American flag on it. It's lovely. Listen, some of you have been faithful supporters of Mike Lindell and my pillow, as you should be, because we want to support conservative businesses. Maybe you're tired of pillows and sheets and slippers. Well, Christmas is coming and these kind of leather goods are just fantastic. I personally love leather goods. I really do. And this stuff is fantastic. Take a look at this travel bag, which is uh, which is really beautiful. It is handcrafted and you will find it all on johncandor.com. Support John, support his work. Christmas is coming. Members of your family are going to love this stuff. I know it. So johncandor.com. So here's a place that is in Palm Beach, prime real estate. And, and if you've ever been to Florida, you, you need to know if you ever go there, there's a big difference in real estate value between Palm Beach and West Palm Beach, just across the bridge. West Palm Beach, there's beautiful homes and so forth over there. But no, that's <laughs> that's different from Palm Beach, where he is. So this latest attack on Trump has been to say that his, and I forget how many acres it is, it's something like 18 acres, or that it's only worth $18 million, $19 million. Jim, that is absolutely laughable. It is laughable. It is prime real estate yep. in the United States and one of the most expensive neighborhoods in all of America. I wouldn't even begin to guess what it's actual. The property alone is worth, I mean, if you took all the buildings off of it and the buildings themselves are substantial and, and, and quite impressive as well. But if you took the buildings off of it, the property alone is worth well north of $18 million. 
So again, these are the kinds of attacks that yeah. they're that they're doing to Donald Trump. But the guy has he has never wavered. He is so hard headed that yes, he doesn't take advice, but yes, he's able to endure these kinds of attacks. And I'm personally willing to say. Uh, this might be a, a separate conversation, but there are a lot of people who who will wring their hands over Donald Trump and say, "Well, he's, you know, his his character. He's he's mean tweeted, and he's he said, and he's done these things that I don't approve of." Listen, I, I feel about Donald Trump the way you uh, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln yeah. felt about Ulysses Grant when yeah. there were those who said he's an alcoholic, he's a man of bad repute, we need to get rid of him, and Lincoln said, "I can't spare the man." He fights. Correct. And that's the way I feel about Trump. You can't spare the man. He fights. Until you find me somebody else who can fight better than him and has the character that you know you find yeah. acceptable. I haven't I'm I'm not asking Donald Trump to be my priest. I'm not asking him to be my confessor. I'm asking him to fight and defend the constitutional values of the United States. And he's and he's done that. But Trump is for America. He's putting America first. Now, as a Brit, you know, people might say, well, Jim, wouldn't you want him to put the UK first? But hang on a second, he's an American president, you know? He's going to put his people first. He's got to. Any national leader must put their people first, and he does, which is why we need to look closely at who we've got in, in charge at the moment, because Biden is not putting the American people first. You, no, and you he's, talked about East Palestine. And he's destabilizing the world. We're on the verge of World War III in the Middle East. Just yesterday... I saw the report coming in. I was probably one of the first people to tweet it out. Yemen has declared war on Israel. Now, the Yemen and the Houthis, there's a civil war going on there, but they have just sent missile strikes and drone attacks to Israel. And um, I believe that we are about to see a much wider regional war taking place. Now, if Trump had been in charge, it wouldn't be happening. And, and we wouldn't be in Ukraine. We wouldn't be in Ukraine because he understood the corruption that was going on there. He wasn't part of it. You can't bribe Trump. Trump doesn't need it, and he won't take it. That's one of the things about Donald Trump that I like. He calls it like it is, and he will not be bought by anyone. But Biden is. Hunter is. Oh, you know, the he, whole Biden they're, they're, they're for sale. They just they as well have sale. signs around the neck that says but the other for thing, sale and um, also looking to buy cocaine. But anyway. But the other thing, Larry, is, is that Putin would probably not even have gone into Ukraine because there would have been no need to. That's right. Trump would have stopped that. And there was no, there were no wars under Trump's tenure. There was peace. There was prosperity. And as soon as Biden got in, everything went downhill. Energy prices went up, fuel prices went up, cost of living went up. The whole thing's an absolute mess. And, you know, I, I, I'm curious to know, because I've had a big interest in American politics. Uh, I love the American people. I've, I've always admired America. Although this is my first time here to the States, it's a big deal for me because I've always been interested. Uh, from, from the days of the 50s and 60s rock, I mean, that, that's a big interest for me as well. But I'm concerned about what's going to happen because... In an earlier podcast, you talked about if if America ever went down, there are other nations would fall. UK being one of them, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, what I sometimes refer to as the Lion Nations. These nations would not survive, and probably not Israel either, without the support from America. We look at what's happening over there just now. So America has a lot of good people. They've done a lot of good in the world. I know they get a lot of criticism. But the American people are some of the most generous, decent, 
law-abiding, honest people there is. Not everybody's going to agree with that, but I'll tell you, it happens to be a fact, and I've seen it over the course of the last two weeks while I've been here, the generosity. Uh, and I'm not an American, I'm a Brit, I'm a Scottish Brit, but they couldn't have gone out of their way to make me more welcome. And I've seen it even arriving at uh, Birmingham, Alabama airport with people coming up to me and just having a chat, just as we were waiting on our baggage coming in. Friendly people, it reminded me of back home, back in the highlands of Scotland. And there's a lot of synergy between us. So I think that what we're seeing, but I am concerned about the 2024 election. I mean, can I ask you, I mean, do you have any thoughts as to what might happen? Because in my opinion, the election wasn't fair. It was stolen. It wasn't right what happened. And I'm concerned, Larry, that there might be something else that could happen where they might come under intense scrutiny. They, they might try not to have it, you know, steal it again because they, they might get caught. But might they stop the election from happening in the first place? Well, let me go back to the first thing that you said um, about America's influence around the world. I, I said in my last book, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It Available at All Major Retailers, Please Buy It in Bulk, um, that America's influence, our global influence, is very Jekyll and Hyde. It's very Jekyll and Hyde, and um, there's the the good Dr. Jekyll, um, who has been um, humanitarian in astonishing ways. The Marshall Plan yeah. was was the most amazing post-war program in the history of civilization. It's not hyperbole. It's that's a fact. It's the most benevolent post-war program um, in history. America's uh, efforts to defeat communism and bring down the old Soviet Union, um, rebuilding Japan and um, taking it from a, a war-loving, uh, emperor-worshipping feudal society, dragging it, kicking and screaming into the modern world and turning it into a democracy with arguably the, the most democratic and enduring constitution in the world outside of our own. Uh, that's that's the America I love. Yeah. Then there's the the Mr. Hyde America. That's the one that you encounter, particularly in the third world, under the Clintons and under Obama, and now the Bidens, where they are pushing extreme policies and saying, you know, we want you to. Um, liberalize your abortion policies, your sexual um, ethics policies. We want you to open your borders. All the same things that we're seeing in, yeah. in, in your country and in ours and throughout the Western world. These are the things we want. Oh, by the way, here's, you know, so we, we want you to do this and then, then here's aid. But it, the, the aid is always attached yep. to that. And you have some African countries who have said, nope, we're not doing this, um, so that the president of Kenya, for example, before Obama visited um, when he was president of the United States, they wanted these changes, the Kenyans, to make these changes, and, and o Obama's visit was conditional upon them making these changes. And um, the Kenyan president said he need not visit. 
um, because we're not doing that. And you're, you're seeing some African leaders who are coming out and saying, you, you know what America wants is they want us to open our borders. We're not going to do that. Um, you know, we've, we've seen what Hungary's policy has been in that regard, which has been a model um, to the Western world. Tucker Carlson, who has a, a much, much bigger brand than, uh, than either of us or many of us put together, he's been talking about this in, uh, um, in a very big way, uh, pointing this out. So that's, that's the, the, the Mr. Hyde America. And so America's influence, Americans aren't always aware of this, but our influence isn't always a good influence. Um, under this administration, it is a very pernicious influence. I mean, Ukraine is the most obvious example of this. I mean, we provoked, we provoked this war. We absolutely provoked this war, and we used Britain to help us do it, uh, along with um, with many other willing willing participants. As for the election in 2024, and I would love to be wrong, Jim, but I've discussed this with guys like Steve Cortez, who's much more of an insider than I am. He he knows DeSantis and Trump and all these people quite well, and. He's very involved in the weeds of politics, and there are other guys that I talk to who are also likewise um, very engaged in these questions. But I always keep saying to them, it doesn't matter how many Trump rallies you have. He's not winning. And I don't believe he's winning because I believe he won in 2020. I think Dinesh D'Souza's film, 2,000 Mules, demonstrates this quite definitively um, that he won. All of a sudden... You know, there's this red wave, and then yeah. counting stops mm-hmm. in all these swing states. And predictably, Biden is declared the winner. This has been going on now through two election cycles. It will go on again now. There will be massive ballot harvesting. Um, there will be outlaw, outright election rigging. I don't know. I hear all this about Dominion, Dominion um, voting machines. I, I don't know. If I don't know really anything of the specifics on that, whether or not there's anything actually been proved about the machines themselves, but uh, in-person voting has to return because mail-in ballots have been a disaster uh, prior to the election. They wanted the pandemic because they wanted lockdowns. They wanted an excuse to have millions of mail-in ballots that you can't possibly really hand-check and verify whether or not they're they're actually legit. So why is it that Democrats who want digital IDs don't want them when it comes to voting? It's strange. They don't want they don't want you to have to verify your identity and have to appear in person to vote. So my own personal feeling, I don't know exactly how it will happen. Will it be through a lockdown? Will it be through um, you know, declaring martial law or something like I don't know, but I do believe that unless Republicans are prepared to address um, ballot harvesting and election rigging, no Republican will win the presidency. They just won't. And it appears, we were talking about rhinos before, Mitch McConnell and other rhinos have no interest in addressing this, and that is because they are beneficiaries of a corrupt system. That's what they want. So, no, I don't I don't think any Republicans winning in 2024. And I'm sad to say that. And I would love to be wrong. I hope I am wrong, but I don't see it happening. It's funny, you know, you talk about voter ID and it's exactly the same in the UK because the Labour Party is the equivalent of your Democrat yes. Party, the Liberals, you know. 
very far left, very woke, very extreme, uh, and very dangerous, I have to say. But uh, they don't want voter ID either. You know, when I was in the Brexit party, I campaigned in Peterborough extensively. I was down there for weeks helping the candidate to, to get there. Um, I, I was telling you last night when we were having that wonderful cigar and having a chat on your porch that, in fact, um, the, he came within, you know, a couple of hundred votes of winning. And up until the very day before, the Labour activists were down. You know, they, we were seeing them going round and whenever we appeared, they would scurry off, you know. They knew they were losing. But the very day before the election, we all could see a shift and change. And uh, then, of course, they won. Because they, they knew. They knew the fix they was in. They knew the fix was in. And there was a convicted fraudster seen in that election hall that was identified. And it was reported to the police, but nothing was done. So, Well, see, I think, I think what happened, uh, pardon me, Jim, 2016, they were, they were caught unaware they were, in yeah. two elections, in Brexit and in the election of Donald Trump. And they decided that will not happen again, yeah. that we will not let that happen again. And not because, hey, we're going to campaign harder, we're going to put more money in advertising. No, we're going to rig the elections. I believe That's so. what we're going to do. But those two elections completely blindsided the globalists, the global left. They didn't see that coming. And... Um, they change tactics. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, it's the it's the it's the American people that are that are suffering, and it's the UK people that are suffering. We are, we are suffering under the, the the heel of these globalist policies. These politicians. I mean, if you take Canada, I I talk to a lot of people in Canada, and I've learned so much about the Canadian uh, cause, the trucker movement, the stand that they took, where they had their bank accounts frozen. I mean, it's something that's that, that that's so appalling, um, yet. They, they, they soldier on. I've got a lot of admiration for the Canadians too. And we've got to remember they, they were our strongest allies along with the Americans in World War II and, and many others that stood with us. But, you know, we're fighting, uh, I, I believe we're fighting a, a really tough battle. And I don't think people maybe really fully appreciate the battle that lies ahead. We're talking about central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, 15-minute cities where you're not allowed to leave your district they say that everything that you need is in a 15-minute zone around you. But you'll own nothing and be happy. And you'll eat the bugs. And you'll eat the bugs. So, you know, we've got everything to fight for, for our families, for our neighbours, for our loved ones, for the future generations. But we've got to stand up and we've got to fight and we've got to push back. And I'm, I'm attempting something which is very ambitious. Whether it's successful or not remains to be seen. But we are about to launch a new website. Fantastic. On the 5th of November, I'm allowed that, to... Is, is that Guy Fawkes Day? It is. That's Guy Fawkes Day. Yeah, no coincidence. We're not planning on blowing up the British Parliament. <laughs> we're, we're not quite as extreme. But we are. For, for those Americans who are watching, Guy Fawkes blew up, um, the, or attempted to blow up, he wanted to blow up, the British Parliament in, was it 1605? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. gun, What was called the Gunpowder gun Plot. plot. Um, and to blow up the uh, blow up the parliament has been made into a few movies, but now Guy Fox is—he's almost your Halloween character. He is, isn't he? you know, but that we, penny we have, for the guy, penny for the guy. We we have him sitting on top of the bonfire, <laughs> yes. sitting fire at the bonfire. He's a bit of a joke now. Yeah, but but we are we are trying to to get this this movement going. You know, in America, you've had the Tea Party movement. Yes, and I've watched from a distance for a long time about how the Tea Party movement got created how it was a fairly autonomous 
organization that gave power to local communities. And, I'm very, and I've been very interested in that for a long time. I want to recreate something like that, but on a global basis. And I've produced a, a website that goes live. It's called freedomtraininternational.org. And I'm hoping that people will, will use that because it's a safety net. Because as censorship becomes ever greater, as they continue to lose the information war, it's important that there is another alternative. And it's multilingual. It's got a lot of resources built into it. It's a work in progress, Larry. It's not finished. It'll be finished by the, by the launch date. But there's a lot more content to add into it. And this is going to be a huge resource. And in fact, I would invite you to, to maybe link into some of the podcasts that you're doing because you've produced some amazing material when it comes to globalism, what it is and why we must re, 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 resist against that because it's, it is the enemy of humanity. Talking about resistance, let's go to, we've been talking about rights, let's go to the Second Amendment, um, the right to bear arms in this country. That's very foreign to British people. Uh, so many of the Brits that I talk to, uh, even conservatives, they, they have been so inundated by their own media that they think... Americans are all just shooting each other, you know, in the street. That it's, um, you know, it's the shootout at the OK Corral uh, every day in America. What is your, you know, as a, as a Scot, what do you think about our Second Amendment? Oh, I, I think it's unique in the world, and and I, I say you you must guard that uh, because the the whole purpose of the Second Amendment was to prevent a tyrannical government from from overthrowing the the, the rights of the people and destroying the nation. And I'll tell you, it's incredibly important that you fight for every single one uh, of your uh, rights. And the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment is an incredibly important part of it. No, I don't see it as being extreme at all. I think it was your founding fathers were some of the smartest people going. And I know that there are people that say, well, they were this or they were that, or they were connected to this or they're connected to that. Look, at the end of the day, you've got something worth fighting for. It's the envy of the world, let me tell you. And uh, it's enshrined... Uh, it's, it's there, it cannot be taken away. It's part of your destiny as the American people. And I have huge respect for those that salute the flag, that take the Pledge of Allegiance, and who honour your country and its destiny. Because America, despite the faults, despite the corruption, despite a lot of it, is fundamentally a good Christian country that cares and I want to see America continue because if America ever falls, we're all down. No, listen, if you talk to um, oh, those people who have fled communist countries, they, they will tell you that the seizure of weapons, I had someone in South America say this to me, I thought they put it very eloquently, that what happened in Venezuela was first the destruction of the freedom of speech and then the seizure of weapons. Yeah. And they said, and after that, it was game over. Sure. And that's, you know, that's the First and Second Amendment right there. And they say, once those two fall, it's game over. And it was, excuse me, I take that back. I remember where this conversation was. It was actually a conversation that I had in Dallas with a cab driver who had fled Portugal, fascist Portugal. Yep. And he said, I'm seeing the same things happen here. 
And he says, once that happens, it's game over. You absolutely must protect those two. And I very much believe in that. And interestingly enough, you know, as, as we've talked, you know, I've told you, you know, I, I grew up in the military. I feel like I served. I, I, I didn't, but I was born on a... Uh, United States Army installation base, and then um, lived on many others and um, maintained a military ID card until, what, I guess I was 18 years old. And uh, I I would never characterize myself as a gun lover. You know, there are people who love guns, and I have no problem with that. It's a, it's a very legit hobby, and I enjoy doing a little skeet shooting, a little trap shooting, occasionally hunting. But I, I can't say that it's. Uh, I'd prefer to go bouncing around in the forest in my Land Rover Defender. You know, if I'm, <laughs> we'll be you and me both. if I'm if I'm if I'm choosing one over the other, uh, I was taught a respect for weapons. I was taught and the importance of them. I was tra- taught by my father um, to um, you know how to use them, and I taught all of my boys. I taught my children how to use them as well because I felt like it was very important that they know how because they might one day have to know how, and I've encouraged them all to own their own firearms. But there is definitely an effort to say, no, 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 you can't have them because um, it's, it, it, you're, you're such a threat to other people. I, I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the greatest threat to your freedom, the greatest threat to human life are tyrannical governments who have sole possession of Weapons. The greatest genocides, mass shootings in history were not committed by civilians. They were committed by governments. They were committed by governments, and they were committed by governments against unarmed people or largely unarmed populations. And so I am a big believer in the First and Second Amendments, and those rights have essentially been lost in Britain. Um. I've talked to members of media there who tell me that um, you know there are absolutely things they cannot say. You can't criticize Muhammad. You can't bring up the fact that he was a rapist, which of course he was. You can't bring up. You, you cannot say any of these things. And the the my own personal feeling, you know, in, in talking about the Second Amendment, thinking in terms of freedom of speech, I am very much in favor of people having the right to say what they want to say, however crackpot. It might be because I, I trust much more the population to discern the truth of a given thing than I do um, government to determine that for me. I'm just simply not a believer in that. And I think in terms of you know what um, General MacArthur did in Japan well, as the governor of Japan, post-war Japan, 1945 – is he was getting pressure from congressmen at home to outlaw the Communist Party in Japan. And he said, I won't do it. I absolutely will not do it. He says it will wither on the vine as people see the, the, the options of freedom versus what the Communist Party is offering. He says, but if you suppress it, it will flourish. Yeah, he's right. And, well, and, and interestingly, there's another narrative taking place in the UK. I don't know if it's coming across to America where people are saying, well, do you know what? <laughs> Perhaps we should just do away with voting because you you guys yes. don't really know yes. about, enough about politics to make that decision. Let's just leave it to the politicians. You know, you don't need to vote. You know, you just we'll, we'll just you know. And I think that's an incredibly dangerous um, concept because you take away that, you're really attacking democracy itself. You know what you just said um, is so interesting because. 
Supreme Court Justice Alito in 2019, he said this, the vision of early 20th century progressives and the new dealers of the 1930s was the policy making would shift from narrow-minded elected legislators to an elite group of appointed experts. In a word, the policymaking would become more, quote, scientific. That dream has been realized to a large extent. Every year, administrative agencies acting under broad delegations of authority churn out huge volumes of regulations that dwarfs the statutes enacted by the people's elected representatives. And what have we seen in the pandemic? Sweeping restrictions imposed, for the most part, under the statutes that confer enormous executive discretion to these committees. That's the whole EU. That's describing the EU right to there. A to a T. Thank you, because that just goes to show the mindset that's there. That's anti-democratic, it's anti-freedom, and it's top-down, where elitists are the ones who are calling the shots, or the experts. experts. I, just, I just saw a headline when we were taking a break. I saw... Uh, the word expert should bring you know great concern to people when they see that i mean if there if there's any word that's been more abused in the last few years it is the word expert but i um i'm seeing it all the time but i just saw one in a headline that said how many times should you bathe experts tell you and i thought <laughs> really do i need an expert to tell me when i'm starting to stink <laughs> I mean, Do I need them to tell me that? Common sense. No, of course not. Common sense dictates that. <laughs> but then again, they don't want people to have common no, sense. No, they don't. They want people to live in fear. They want the nanny states. They want people to be terrified and that you will only obey them. That's what this is all about. That's what the whole division is all about. People need to, to, to understand there is a whole psychological psyops going on. And I, I pay tribute to General Flynn. You know, I, I, He follows me on Twitter. I follow him. He's an expert in fifth generational warfare. And if people were only about to realize that the psychological operations that's been perpetrated, not just on the British people, but on the American people, on the people across the world, has been intense and extreme. In the UK, we have got what's called Brigade 77, which is a division of the British military that were turned against those people in the UK who were standing up and questioning the whole COVID lockdown and the whole narrative to go with it. They were targeted, they were attacked, and they were silenced. Now, that's the British military, or an arm of it, being, a, being a used to attack the British people themselves. You know, you've got to question the leadership. Where are their loyalties? They're not to the British people. Your politicians largely here in the Biden administration, they're not to the American people. And not I go at back, all. I go back to East Palestine. Not at all. Go back to East Palestine. When that real disaster happened, when that contamination happened. East Palestine, Ohio. Yeah, he, he, he was nowhere to, to he didn't And didn't care. care. And didn't same with Maui. Same thing with Maui, doesn't care. Uh, they'll give some token, you know, say a few words, but what we're, what we're seeing them say and what we're seeing them do are two very different things. Jim, it's been great to have you. It's been great to have you in Alabama, and I think uh, these people who are watching would love to see all the things that we're going to do next, but let's just say that it involves eating, you know, large quantities <laughs> of red meat, oh, yeah. um, of shooting guns, of enjoying the great outdoors, 
and just generally having a good time. We're having a fantastic time. <laughs> you guys in America, I'll tell you, I love you guys. <laughs> I love Laurie, and it's been an absolute pleasure to good be to spending see time with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Join us again for the next episode of Ideas Have Consequences. Be sure, by the way, to sign up for our email list. And the reason for that is because while YouTube may not notify you, once we have you on the email list, we can circumvent YouTube and we'll notify you. If they shut us down, fine. We'll send you an email and tell you where you can find us next. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.